With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So it's official, everybody. I've got the yips when it comes to these intros. I am messing them up every time and have been for like the last six, eight weeks, whatever it is. But here we are. My name is Jacob. This is your girlfriend Ian. We are here with Ingles and Ian, a CowboysRideForFree.com podcast. And so let's get into it. My friend, uh, Bedlam Basketball didn't go the way we'd hoped. Thrilling, as always, which I would not have expected in the first 35 minutes of that game or whatever it was. Man, I'll tell you, that game was so ugly. I had to stop watching multiple times. I was just like, like this is terrible. I think Oklahoma State, like at one point, didn't have any points, didn't score anything for like five minutes. It was a seven-minute stretch at one point, too. Yeah, they were – it was bad. And at the end of the day, I'm really not mad. I mean, fair play. Uh, I I thought the the over-the-back on uh, Cissé was a bit iffy, especially what they were calling the other end. No, I mean – But for the most part, I agree. For the most part, I agree. It was a really – what I got to see. So I've been running errands all day. Um, I came home, was cleaning, so I had the game on the background during the half, got everything done. I was like, well, there's five minutes left. I'll just finish it before I start my next set of errands. And I started watching the game, and like, it's, and they pull it out, and they get tied, and I'm just like tweeting on the Slack, like, oh, don't not like this, guys, not like this. And especially with that, that alley-oop to – it was Cisse, right? Mm-hmm. It was like seven seconds left, which will be on Sports Center tonight for sure. I was like, oh my gosh, that was like such a great play. Uh, Anderson is really coming. Like I, like I did not expect that out of him, but the like, it seems like the last five or so games, he's just been bringing the fire. Yeah, I mean, you saw that a little bit um, last season, too, where if Kate had a cold game, Avery Anderson was the guy to step it up right away. And, I mean, you saw it again today. I mean, he, he put in 41 minutes of uh, of work tonight or today with, you know, 25 points. Yeah, he, he's pretty much, like, the most reliable player on the team in well, that aspect. And, you know, he shot a hundred percent from the foul line, which is something we've been harping on for the entire team, you know? Uh, but yeah, he was making shots, you know, he was hustling and I got to give this team credit. Like they have quote unquote, nothing to play for, but themselves. And those guys hustle, like those guys play hard. And if they, if we can keep this core of sort of, Anderson, Cisse, Boone, and Thompson together for next season. If those four guys come back, that's going to be a very lethal core. I think Anderson is going to leave. I have no like official source on that. 
but I think Avery Anderson is leaving because he declared for the draft last year and came back and is a junior. And he's having a better year this year. So I, yeah, year. I get it. And I, I, I know that, but like I said, if we can keep this core or get someone to kind of replace him, like the job CSA is doing in the defensive department is one of the best I've seen in a long time. Dude, he, he's coming from every angle, dude. Like blocking shots. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, three, he had a little less than half of the blocks three out of the seven. Um, he had a double double today, twelve points, ten rebounds, which is what you want out of your big man. Um, yeah, all ten of those rebounds were defensive, which is wild. Which yeah, well, that's I mean. It's depending on the shots you have not played. He's had 44 blocks in Big 12 play this year, mm-hmm. or not Big 12 play in just this season. That's an that's that's over one a game, which is in unheard of. <laughs> yeah, it's no, it's phenomenal how good of a big man he is. And I am pretty glad that he is uh he's come down here. Yeah. So let me see where he's at on the uh, blocks per game list. Uh, there's a guy at Auburn, Walker Kessler. He ever he's averaging four point six blocks per game. How many? Four point six. How many games has he played? Twenty eight. So you're telling me? Let's see if I can math really fast in my head. He's got. He has 131 blocks. I was about to say that's <laughs> that is is it is that a like I don't know probably Wilt or one of those guys you know Russell when they played in college probably had more blocks but and probably that's got to be near the top in the last 20 or 30 years in terms of blocks that is an insane amount of blocks. I'm trying to find Monte Cisse uh, on the blocks per game list and I can't find them on like the first 80 of them. So that's that's not good <laughs> in terms of blocks. He's a good blocker, but on the stat sheet it doesn't really it doesn't Yeah, really show. but it's also like was it his block? Was it something else? Did the guy miss the shot? There's a lot of stuff, but like the one where he just slapped it into like the edge of the rim and it stuck. It's like Dang, that's a that's a block right there. One point seven blocks in uh twenty six games for him. Let me just look up total blocks real quick. Yeah, there's some guys doing work. This is probably because of the older guys. Like there's a uh, Kessler one thirty one, uh, Sharp out of Western Kentucky with one twenty five. I mean, if you go down the block list, he's kind of down there. Yeah, Monte uh, Cisse tied for 61st with 44. I, in in major collegiate play, I haven't seen that. But oh, and, and even I'm shooting my own argument in the foot. So Gonzaga, seven-footer, freshman, oh, Chet 93. Holcomb, yeah. um, future Thunder player. Moorhead State, freshman, broom, 121, junior. Yeah, man. 
I don't know. Maybe there's just more emphasis on getting down in the paint instead of just shooting the threes now with a lot of these coaches. I don't know. No, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty surprised too. I mean, that's a lot of blocks. That, that is, is a lot. <laughs> I'm now looking up most blocks in a season. What's the record for that? I don't know. <laughs> I'm looking that up. 207 blocks from <laughs> this NBA legend. Guess the NBA legend. Uh, have I mentioned him already between no. Kareem and Will? Mm, okay. MV Ewing. Nope. Hmm. It wouldn't be Dream. I don't know who, who you got. David Robinson. Ah. Yeah. First and second. In 35 games, he had 207 blocks. That's, I mean, I don't know what their schedule was like at that point. I don't know if it's shorter or longer than the current one is, but that's roughly like eight blocks, seven blocks a game. That is, that's Barry Sanders like numbers in terms of rushing. (laughs) Like, that is bonkers numbers. Yeah, I'm looking up, trying to see who's second place is on here. They did it by season. So, this could probably be wrong. And I think blocks were an official stat as of 1985. So okay. that's when they first officially start, officially started. So that's why you're not seeing Ewing or okay, um, that makes sense. Akeem on there. So I think the second most was a guy named Sean James at a Northeastern with 196. He's from what I could see on here. That's crazy. That's nuts. Yeah, it is absolutely nuts. But, you know, all in all, the team, well, when it mattered, the team showed up, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because what they scored 19 in the first half, <laughs> that's that's terrible. But unlike, so one of the big stats they showed when the little bit I did get to watch is that OU tends to shoot better in the second half and they scored four points less in the second half. So the defense really clamped down. And here's something I'm going to complain about watching over, especially the last, and I've watched enough about like Oklahoma State basketball this season to kind of comment on this at this point. Mm-hmm. I don't like when they slow it down. Like, yeah, it, it, and, it, and it's more of the, I don't mind them passing a lot, moving the ball, screen, screen, cut, cut, you know, go basically going through the progressions of the offense, right? Like, like sort of like a quarterback. He's got to go through the progression of the receivers. But it's when they slow down and try and burn time where I think they get into trouble because they don't really do that well. They, on the offensive side of the ball, it's when they go faster and, you know, keep moving, keep moving, keep moving, make the, make the defense make a mistake because you're always screening. You're always passing. You're always cutting in and out. That's when they really do well on offense. And when we start slowing down, trying to burn time and overtime, that's when the offense really looked bad. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You need to be, you kind of need to kind of put in a, like a Mike D'Antoni style offense in there where it's seven seconds or less where, you, you got to be quick with it and you got to add motion. 
Well, right. Well, no, it's something you got to shoot in seven seconds or less, which was Dan Tony's thing, but it was more oh, yeah. of a just keep moving. Don't hold the ball until 10 seconds and try and create because a lot, but Grant, and this is one of those things where people are like, well, what about all those like pick and rolls to the basket? Well, OU was playing stupid. But for the most part, when OU was sort of switching and taking that away, when OSU was just, they kept, you know, sort of twirling in the middle of the floor, just, you know, this, this motion of back and forth, pass, screen, cut, et cetera, et cetera. It, you know, this sort of torrent in the middle of the court kind of motion. And that's when things would, because eventually the sooner defense would break down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Because also, you know, the key thing was whenever Tanner, I think it's Tanner Groves or Jacob Groves, whenever he fouled out, they got, that's when Oklahoma State came back. Right. So that was, pretty huge for them at least um and you know like i'm not even i'm not mad at this loss that it if it had been anybody but ou i would been like yeah good game (laughs) you know oh here's the thing with ou basketball they're only happy that they beat us there were people leaving in overtime so they don't they don't really care and i guess they're allegedly still in the bubble we're still in the mix, which I find that hard to believe at a uh, 13, uh, was it a 15, 15 or 14, 14 uh, team. But I mean, I'm going to give them their credit, man. I'd like what Porter Mosier is doing. Oh, he's a good coach. I, and like when they hired him, I was like, dang it. <laughs> That's a good coach. Like, you don't want to see a really good coach go to your rival, but he's a good coach. I mean, he's proven it. He's been to, you know, the Elite Eights, Final Fours. You know, he's just, he's a good coach. And he's always been at what, you know, really small schools. And now he's got bigger school money and resources and talent. And so, I mean, OU is going to be a good basketball team for a long time, I think. Yeah. You know, like, Whenever you, whenever you look at coaches, I think Porter Mosier was at Loyola Chicago for like ten time. years. Yeah, and you know, with a lot of like, when you compare it to college football, they're probably staying maybe three years. But I mean, with bat, with basketball, the, the contracts are a little longer, and you know, maybe there's a little more loyalty well, in that area. The- the uh, the con- the contracts and the money in basketball, save for a few schools, is small potatoes compared to what football is. Yeah, but yeah. you think it would be easier to um, leave if you get a higher pay raise, right? Yeah. Well, but it's also. It, the, the dynamics in college basketball are a lot different, right? 64 teams make the make team make make it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it is a lot easier for a coach to stay there and say, I know nine years out of ten, because I'm better than everybody else, I'm punching my ticket. And all I need is the ticket, and I know I can go far. 
And so that's a really different mentality than I've got to finish top four in the country to even have a shot at making the call, you know, to make the college football playoff. So the mentality is way different. The money's way different. And, you know, you're still making a couple million dollars, you know, Uh it's not, it's not like he's, you know, I mean, I don't know exactly how big of a pay raise it was to go to OU, but you know, he probably, it probably wasn't nearly as significant as other jumps. You know, Riley was making a lot of money at OU and, you know, USC just threw the bank at him. You know, that's, that's a big jump in money, right. For essentially an easier job. Uh, and so, but in college basketball, if you know, you can win your conference nine years out of 10 and all you want to do, and maybe you've been there for a while, right? You're happy. Your family's happy. You got a nice house, making good money, whatever. And then, you know, what's, what's an extra $500,000 a year. If you're already making 1.52 million and your house is paid off and you know, you're making the tournament every year or almost every year. Yeah. And, you know, like there's basketball coaches have a longer, I think, like, I feel like they have longer careers than, say, football coaches per se, because I feel like it's less stressful to be a basketball coach than a football coach. So that's why you see Coach K keep on keeping on and plenty of coaches in stride when they reach their 60s and 70s. Well, it's you also got to remember the numbers game and the size, you know, you've got to recruit what 10 players a year. If you're a basketball coach and you've got to recruit like 40 a year, if you're for 20 something a year, however many, you know, if you're a football coach, I mean, it's, 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 it's also a a thing of um, scale, right. And basketball is also one of those other things where, you can go a couple different routes and we're starting to see the routes to the championship change a bit, but in basketball, especially for a long time, or even now you get the right kid. You're set for that season or a couple of seasons, depending, you know, football, you get the right kid. It, you know, yeah. A, a dynamic electric quarterback can change your fortunes, but it's not like getting a Zion. It's not like getting, a Kate Cunningham, you know, it's, it's a completely different world because one player just can so out impact everything else, you know, because, you know, in football, a, a whole other squad plays defense too. Right. So mm-hmm. it's just, you know, it's that dynamic, like basketball is this really zoomed in world compared to football, in my opinion. No, I, I agree. I agree. Um, So there's two, basketball games left it's Iowa State at Iowa State and then Texas Tech I think I saw something in our slack that said this year doesn't really count for Boyden I'm going to give him one more season is that a, is that the boat you're in because I'm almost in that boat where I say maybe one or two seasons uh if you had asked me this question six weeks ago, which I've been on this podcast famously saying that I don't know if he should be returning. Um, but today, I, you know, one, these kids are playing insanely motivated 
uh, basketball, even though they've got quote unquote, nothing to play for. Uh, and that's a testament to the coach and the coaching staff and the staff he's built. That is something that is his credit. And, but the question that remains, and I will give him one more, um, is, is he a great motivator? Yes. Can he do everything else at a great level? That's that time is coming. He's this next, this is his fifth year. I think next year will be a sixth year. So he's had, rec- well, in college basketball, he's had probably like three recruiting classes, you know, full you know, recruiting classes, just how quickly the things turn over. So he really needs to at least, I think he needs to be sweet 16 next year. Before, If he doesn't make the second weekend, I'm going to be like, as much as I like the guy and I, 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 I love him, I think he's great. Um, but if he doesn't make that second weekend, I don't know, man. I sweet sixteen, really? Yeah. No, I think like if you were to win, hey, if you were to get back to the tournament, I think you're probably fine. But I think if he gets to the round of thirty-two, because think about it, there are three hundred and like thirty or forty-seven teams in college basketball. Being in the top sixteen is. I know. I, I like, know what I said. I, 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 I'm I, just saying he, okay he needs to make a legit run this week 16 I'll, I'll back off a little bit if it's close in the round of 32 okay but this team is too tenacious on defense and too talented on defense that if they cannot get an offense and figure out some way to score more points than what they're doing and not have these crazy lulls where they're scoring 19 in the first half, which happens way too often, they need to figure something out. And like I have said this before, and I'll say it again, I know that position doesn't exist in basketball, but they need an offensive coordinator. He needs to bring in some offensive guru and let him or her run the offense. I don't care who it is, but he's, it's, it's obvious. He's not a good offensive coach. That is just the long, the short of that discussion. He's not a good offensive coach. Um, He does everything else. Well, you know, he recruits well, apparently I just, I don't, I, I, there, there's something's got to give. And granted, he's still young, but you're getting into year six. He's 40, man. Like, he's a man. He's 40. Like, he's getting there. It takes so long for coaches to, you know, step it up a little bit. I just, I I just, this team frustrates. I think you give him two more years and then you decide because this year's a wash. I just, I, the Big 12 is so tough. So, like, even if you get, if you have like a losing conference record, like you're not in a bad spot. Like I think Iowa State's like ninth or something, and they're in pretty good shape to make the tournament. I think. You like, know, and, and if I think so tough, and, and that's the hard part, right? Is because I think if these kids had the ability to go to the tournament, they the some of these lulls we've seen wouldn't have happened because that is just psychology a human experience, right? When 
you're grinding for grinding's sake, it's hard. And sometimes you hit lulls, but sometimes you also hit these super highs where, you know, when we've seen that this, this year with, with this team. So I'll give them a pass this year. But before the season started, I was already on this train. So <laughs> I am not packing off this train yet. So I think at the end of next year, if he doesn't make a solid run, you know, finish higher. I mean, has he ever, maybe one year he's finished with a winning record in the conference. Yes. The big 12 is hard as all get out, but mm-hmm. you got to do you at least finish with a winning record in the conference. That's all I'm Here, asking for. Here's his record in conference, eight, 10, five, 13, seven, 11, 11, seven this year, six of 10. Now yeah. I would like to counter argue or provide a counter argument in TCU with a guy by the name of Jamie Dixon. Mm-hmm. He is in his sixth year as TCU head coach. He has a, he's been to the tournament once. He also won an NIT, but whatever. I think TCU is like on the bubble this year, but that's beside the point. His conference record is worse than Boyden's at this point. Which point? Are you saying is is Jamie Dixon in the same boat as Mike Boyden? Oh, he should have been fired already. He well, he shouldn't have been hired. He was terrible at Pitt. I was living in Pittsburgh when he was coach at Pitt. He was terrible there too. He's when not a good coach. In the Sweet Sixteen, and you know, he's all not that. a well, good. Look coach. where Pitt is without him. It's garbage without him now. But. Just because there are worse coaches doesn't mean we should accept a better but not good coach. We want to win. That is our goal as a team, as a university, as fans. We want W's. And if unless we can start getting those dubs, it, it, we need to start maybe looking somewhere else. And like I said, you know what? Screw it. Just give me a winning record in the Big 12 next year, and I will back off a bit. That's all I want. I'm, 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 I'm being this big old softy here. Winning record in the Big 12, that's all I want out of Boyton next year. I don't even care if he makes the dance. Just winning record in the Big 12. Okay. Okay. I will say this. One more point. Travis Ford at eight years here. I don't see any reason why Boyton shouldn't have eight. Would you who would you rather have at this moment, Travis Ford or Mike Boyden? When Travis Ford got fired, mm-hmm. he was terrible here. And then he goes to what Illinois and is amazing. No, 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 no. he went to St. Louis in oh, the Missouri Ford, Valley. Ford, sorry, I was thinking um Underwood. It's Brad Underwood. I even hated him here too. His offense is terrible. I have not seen good offensive basketball out of Oklahoma State in a decade. And that's what I want to see. By the way, in the six years that uh, uh, Ford is at, has been at St. Louis, only made the tournament once. Yeah, but Lost so around to sixty-four. It's probably and a more in the Atlantic Ten, not the Missouri Valley. Right, but that's the A Ten still generally a one big conference, right? Like maybe uh, maybe two. I think there's been a year where they've had like three. 
Yeah, but they're a one-two big conference. It's not like the Big 12 where they're going to have like six or whatever. Yeah, but I mean, still, like if they were, if there was a conference that was going to get multiple bids in that, like the non-power conferences, I think you'd look at the Atlantic 10 for one. And for the record, his conference record is uh, 54 and 45 in St. Louis. I didn't. I mean, we really haven't had a good basketball coach here in a while. I mean, yeah, Underwood is now good, but he wasn't good here. There's a reason we paid that crazy buyout. You know, I, I don't Was there a buyout? <laughs> yeah, there was a buyout, but it was something weird to where, like, he had, like, once he found a job, it would, like, get reduced by whatever the new job's salary was or something like that. It was, it was a really weird contract situation. Hmm. And also, like, he only had one year here. Like, it's, like, it's going to be hard to establish something within a year's time. And he made the tournament and had a 9-9 and conference record. So I, I, I don't know. But I must be thinking about somebody else. Was it? No, he was. Uh... You talk about Sean Sutton? No. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Maybe so. I thought it was Underwood. It's not Leonard Hamilton, is it? Oh, I don't even remember who that is. <laughs> He's Florida State's current coach, but he was at Oklahoma State like the four years before Sutton came, which is wild because he didn't do anything, really. He went to Miami, and then he went to the Wizards for one season, and I think that was the year of well, when Michael Jordan came back and then he came uh he came back to college and he's now at Tallahassee. There you go. <laughs> but, yeah, I just I like I said, all he needs, all Boynton needs is a an offensive person to take that. I don't I don't know who runs the offense. I don't know if it's his game plan, but general in general, when you think about basketball, it's the head coach and they're just the assistants, right? It's not like OC, DC, head coach, et cetera. He just needs somebody to take over the offense. That's it. And I think he would be great if he could just like, because the defense is stellar. It's one of the best college defenses I've ever seen. 
And so I just, there's just this disconnect on offense, but it's been getting better. It's been getting better. I just, I don't know. There's just, I just want good basketball again. Cause like when I first became an Oklahoma state fan, like the basketball team was really good. I was leading up in the final four run and all that stuff. And I just miss good basketball. No, I mean, I'm, I feel you. I like good basketball. I mean, when Cade was here, I mean, it was a, it was a fun year. It was fun, but it wasn't good. It was around a 30. It was respectable. I didn't like, they were runner up in the conference championship. I mean, that's pretty good on paper. Yes. It was a good year What the product on the court was good when Cade was really good. And I know that tends to happen with, you know, future first ones and all that stuff, but you just see it now with how just anemic the offense tends to be. And so I don't, I don't know, man. I I just don't know. He frustrates me like Boyden frustrates me because he's a really likable guy, charismatic. He gets the most out of his players. He's doing everything you want to do. He managed to recruit the number one overall pick to Oklahoma state, Stillwater, Oklahoma of all places. You know, there's all of that stuff, but the offense is terrible. <laughs> and you can't win like that. Not in today's game. You got to be able to shoot the three a little bit more. I mean, we're terrible and terrible at foul shooting. I just, I just, meh, meh, just pisses me off. No, I I mean, I, I understand, man. Um, but I think what they need to establish, they just need to be better at mid range. If you get better at mid range, you just need to make those shots. You just need to make the easy shots. And if you can get a little better with the three, perfect. It can't all be layups though. And that was the, that's kind of the problem with the offense. Right. They're not spread out enough. Like look what DeMar DeRozan's doing, right? You know, he doesn't make a whole lot of threes, but he is one of the best in the mid range. And look at what he's doing now in Chicago. The, this, this is just a, I think it's just a basketball rant in general, but the art of the mid range shot is dying. And like, when you look at guys like Dwayne Wade or, you know, DeRozan again, and, you know, maybe there's, there's a few others and Paul Pierce was pretty good mid range. Uh, Chris Paul is phenomenal in the, in the mid range. He's phenomenal when it comes to the mid range shot. And when you look into that, I mean, that's what I think a lot of basketball players should go back to is the mid-range because it's so underutilized. And if you could take advantage of that, then you're doing phenomenal. I think the bet, DeMar DeRozan, again, his, I got to find his shooting percentage real quick, 52.1%. And you know how many field goals he's attempting? He's attempting 1.8 attempts per game. 1.8. And his his uh, three-pointer percentage is 35.3. You don't have to take that many threes. Because his his mid-range is super efficient. If you can nail your mid-range shots, 
I think you're you're golden for sure. How about the analytics, man? Points per points per one hundred. A three is going to net you more than a two. Well, yeah, three is more than two, but with the you get the classic like and one if you really wanted to. I don't. It's not that deep. The like it's yeah, two is more than three, but if you're bricking them, it forces the big guys to come in kind of a little bit back because the rebound is going to hit harder and bounce more than compared to just, you know, a mid-range shot. The, you see like how like the fives are kind of stretching out the post is because they have to get back because of the threes. So that is something I have noticed in the college basketball I've been watching is the concept of a true post, like a true five is coming back. I mean, it's basically gone in the NBA. And there's always been big men and stuff in, um, you know, in college, but it, they, they're playing more like a Robinson, more like an Akeem, you know, really on the block, working, grinding, bumping down low. And I, I mean, I like to see that kind of classified basketball again, which, you know, for a long time, even in college, it was very much a everyone plays everything kind of position. And that's the way it is in the NBA. There's no real classification of of positions anymore. Yeah. I, I, I'm feeling the same way with you, man. Like bringing back, like we need, you got to bring back big man, man. Like look at Chet Holgram. He's, you know, probably a top five pick right now. Like you don't need to score like rebound, like, this is this, now. This is kind of why I think Monte is having a little bit of a struggle when it came to like getting rebounds, is because the way they shoot, it kind of shoots like further out. Oh, one more players just need to box out more. I we need more Tim Duncan's in the NBA. We need less stuff. We need more Tim Duncan's. I think that's that's all I'm trying to say here. We just need more Tim Duncan's. Tim Duncan was the quietest, best like top five, top 10 NBA player of all time. <laughs> never said much, was never flashy. He was just like, I'm just going to do a little, you know, jumper off the, off the glass. No big deal. Da, 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 da. Yeah. I, I mean, that, I, make, that honestly makes me sound like an old fuddy duddy, man. Like, <laughs> but yeah, I, you just need, like, if you can rebound it, I mean, one of my rebounding is so important, man. One of my favorite memories growing up as a kid is uh, I think it was it was the Rockets' last championship year because I you know I grew up in Houston, mm-hmm. and uh, before Game Five or Six of the Western Conference Finals and San Antonio, uh, Robinson was given his MVP trophy, which it was a highly contested who was better, him or Akeem. And those mm. guys went to work. And Akeem was like, mm. I'm going to sh- prove I should have been the MVP. And Duncan or not Robinson was like, I'm going to prove I deserve it. And those guys, man, it was back and forth. Just some of the best post play you'll ever see. For a long time, it was the, me- the whole method of basketball was just draft a big man. And, you know, he'll put in the work with Akeem, with Ewing, with, Malone, you know, he's a power forward. 
Um, I mean, Duncan's tech is you know, power forward technically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's well, yeah, kind of the same era, but yeah. Well, him and Robinson played together for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Seven, seven years, six years, something like that. Yeah. For those youngins, go look how dominant the Spurs were for like 20 years in the NBA. <laughs> that wasn't even that long ago. They were dominant for a while. Yeah, but they, they went to like, I don't know how many conference, it was like eight conference finals in like 11 years or something like that. You know, five trophies. Like everyone for everyone like focuses on LeBron. Because you know he's like this great player, but like no one focused on like one of the great teams of all time, and which is the Spurs. Mm-hmm. I mean, my dad would probably come here and be like, "Yeah, those Spurs, those Spurs teams back in the day, they were really good." Mm-hmm. So, I, good as any. Yeah. All right, let's let's try to deter from basketball a little bit. Um, you want to tackle baseball real quick? I mean, that was a, I think that's a big statement series winning two games to one over Vanderbilt. Yeah. Well, they um, were runners up last year, right? Uh, I'm pretty sure they were. I am 97. I know Mississippi sure. State one. Was it? Right. A- I'm pretty sure it's against Vandy. So Vandy is doing something that, I don't should be, I don't think should be legal. And so every one of their players is wearing a device. I don't I think it's like an earpiece or something to where the head coach or the pitching coach calls in the pitch and every defensive player knows the pitch. And that really shows out in the stats. These are incredible numbers, even though we took two out of three from, from Vandy, but First game, 18 strikeouts in 24 plate appearances. 11 strikeouts, 27 plate appearances. 16 strikeouts, 27 plate appearances. No team, especially not a top team like we are ranked, unless our ranking is completely whack, strikes out 50 or 45 times in three games. No team does that. So, like, even though we won two, I really don't think that should be a thing. Well, you know what's kind of crazy about that? When this was revealed, whenever you sent that article, I'm not completely sure. But I never heard any complaining from the Oklahoma State side of things. Oh, maybe, they didn't, maybe they didn't know. I don't know. Maybe, I mean. Well, they would have probably have known now. Well, yeah, but it's also one of those things where what's the point in complaining, right? It's legal. You may not use it. Maybe we're using it. I don't know, but uh, I don't know why a team wouldn't use it. Because, I mean, if I were, I mean, that is an unfair advantage, in, but it's legal now in college baseball, so go for it. If every team has it, then it's fair, right? Yes, but I mean, the question is, should it be legal? And I don't think it should be. And also, it Vandy is one, was one of the higher grossing teams, so they probably have more resources. But I don't, 
That's not baseball. That's not baseball. I'm sorry. And I'm a baseball. Stealing signs is baseball. Huh? Stealing signs is baseball though, right? Uh, I mean, you shouldn't, but yeah, it's more part of baseball. That takes more effort. (laughs) But it's. You're an actual fan. They banged a trash can. Like, come on. Okay. No, no, no. I did not agree with that. Okay. I know first, you didn't agree with that. I'm just saying. But, like, okay, but he, here's here's sort of my caveat to this is if it were just the pitcher and the catcher, I would be much more okay with it. I'd be too. And maybe that's a rule that they amend. I don't because I don't see the point of having the yeah. Because if you know a pitch is going a certain direction, even if it's a step or two. That's a lot in baseball. And, you know, the fielders can start cheating just a little bit, which is just huge. It's massive. And so if it were just the pitcher and the catcher, I would be okay with it because it it is just a way to not steal signs. Um, I also, the other part I don't like about it is it takes away from the knowledge of the baseball players. Because the coaches are calling the game for them instead of, you know, the, the catcher and the pitcher understanding the rhythm of the game, which I think is going to hurt them as professionals. Because, you know, yeah, a catcher, maybe. I mean, yeah, there, there are times where the, you know, the coaching staff will call a pitch or something from the dugout. But for the most part in the pros, the catcher is calling the game. It's his job to call the pitches. And if these kids can't, don't learn that they're going to be really developmentally challenged getting into the major league baseball system because they don't have to think about it. Right. You just, you, you know, what's coming and that's it. And the coaches do it for you instead of you having to actually learn the craft of especially being a catcher. Oh yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. But I just, I don't know. I don't like it. Uh, it's a little suspicious, and you would hope that there would be a little bit of regulation on there. Yeah. I don't think that's unreasonable. The question is, does it get to the pros, right? Because if it gets to the pros, then it doesn't matter, um, which I don't know. Major League Baseball is weird right now as it is a whole labor thing and robot umps and everything else. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't know. Um, you know, baseball is supposed to be, at least in my mind, a sort of more human game. Right. And the more technology we add, the more it takes away from it. And I don't like that. No, I I agree. That's, yeah, it's, I think when, well, it's also a thing where it's like, we don't like changes humans naturally. So we're, you know, with that, we're probably not going to be as big of a fan as that, of that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And no. I mean, I get what you're saying, but for also, you know, they're, there are some good things, even though like, you know, replay in the NFL has eventually become a good thing. It was terrible when it first started, 
but you know, through 20, I don't even know how long they've been doing it now. It's actually become a fairly good thing, right? They get more plays right than not. Uh, you know, in general, it doesn't take forever, unlike in college, <laughs> you know? Uh, so I don't mind the change. I just, you know, to quote, to quote Brad Pitt in Moneyball, there's something romantic about baseball. And taking the human nuance out of it takes the romance out of it. Yeah, I agree. So we'll dive into softball real quick, and then I guess we'll yeah. wrap up, I, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we only spent like 40 minutes ranting about basketball. So <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, it's, it's almost March. It's, it is. It's that time. It's that time. And, and well, and here's the thing: if this stupid postseason ban wasn't in play, I think there. I mean, it's a longer shot, but I think there was a definite, decent chance that Oklahoma State could win the Big Twelve tournament and get it. Like they play good enough, their defense is good enough. They, they, it's one of those teams that if they got hot on the offensive end, end for, you know, was what's the Big 12 tournament? Four days, five days, something like that? Well, depend on if they would be. Well, the, what's the most games they play? Four? If they were to, it would be Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Thursday, four days. Yeah. So, but if, if they, they were to, it, they're, they're one of those teams because their defense really doesn't let down. Yeah, they've had some bad series here and there, but all in all, their defense is is phenomenal. And if they were to get hot on the offensive end, they could win the Big 12 tournament. And so it's one of those things where we're like, normally it'd be like, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe it's it's a long shot, you know, probably 12 to one to win it, but it's still there and it's not like 100 to one. So 15 to one. Yeah, you know, in that range, but it's one of those things. Like I said, if they got hot for just a moment, they could win the Big 12 tournament. Yeah, I mean. And then we'd be talking about NIT, and they'd probably be a really good shot to win the NIT. Yeah, I, I, I guess, man. I Well, the thing is, like, they probably have, like, right now, instead of 13 and 15, they're probably more like, eh, 17 and 11. Now, if they're 17 and 11, they're in the tournament, period. Playing in the Big 12. If, if OU was on the bubble today. Well, if they, if, okay, so if they if they beat Oakland, they're 14 and 14. And if they're, I don't know, if there's a, I don't know, they, they probably should have beat Wichita State. That's, then that's 15 and 13 right there. Yeah. OU's not in the in the bubble picture at the moment, I don't think. They might yeah, look at bracketology, but oh yeah. Softball. <laughs> <laughs> um sorry ladies, we do love you. <laughs> yeah, they had a oh they're eight and four right now. They had a not so great uh St. P Clearwater. Invitational finishing two and three with losses to 
ranked opponents, Washington and LSU, but having a really bad loss to South Florida. Right. They, you know, they, they're at three of their, right now. Three of their four losses are against ranked teams, uh, which isn't bad. Um, the weird thing, and I know that you can run into a buzzsaw of a pitcher in softball more than baseball. And they've got like three games where they batted under 200. Yeah, uh, that's a major concern. But the thing is, is are they running into the best that they've got? Because looking at how these schedules work, maybe, I mean, so they've got one, two, three, yeah, three games batting under 200, but they've got one, they've got four games batting over 360. So it's, they've got the firepower. Um, They've already hit like, uh, God, it's a high number of homers already. Yeah, they already have 12 homers, uh, 30 walks, which is kind of crazy uh, for, uh, you know, a lot of ribbies, lots of hits. So I think there's, it's, I think it's going to come down to just finding that consistent, right? Because if they're batting like 330 on average, they're going to be fine. And the question is, why were they batting so low? I don't know. Well, they lost Febri. I know that, but their lineup is a majority, majority the same. Maybe it's just cold bats after a long season. Who knows? Yeah, they scored nine against Tennessee State, but they only scored one against Texas A and M, and they won. They won one to nothing. So yeah, I think just as you, if you get closer onto the season, I'm sure the bats and the weather gets nicer. That they will they'll the bats will come alive again. And, you know, this is a, a thing, right? Like, so they, and especially if you've traveled anywhere, like if you traveled coast to coast, right? So, mm-hmm. so they were in Arizona on the 12th and then in Clearwater, Florida on the 18th. That's hard on the body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then they were they're in a you know they're in College Station, so that's an easier trip. And they probably went back to Stillwater for a couple of days. So yeah. I think once they actually settle into not these tournaments, mm-hmm. they're going to be fine. I really do. Um, you know, getting into a more normal rhythm because mm-hmm. they're they're playing so many games, and which I know is kind of you you know, normal. But once they get into tournament play, they're only playing one game a day, you know, and they have breaks instead of playing five games in three days. That's just, that's a, yeah. that's a lot. That's just a lot of, of softball. Well, the, the good news is the next two out of three are of your tournament or classic events are going to be at home, which well. I mean, it's Stanford, DePaul, and then Minnesota. So it's a doubleheader on Friday. Technically, it's a kind of doubleheader on Sunday. You get a random game with Minnesota on Wednesday. Then you go to Memphis for two doubleheaders. Yeah, it's four games games in two days. That's just so much. 
Yeah, and they're on the road for that Texas trip. It's uh, Denton to Arlington, so they're in the DFW for two of those days. I mean, and, that, I mean, that's their easy. spring break too. Yeah, I mean, and being then, down in Denton is e- a lot easier than going to Memphis or Tempe, for that matter. I think they're going to be fine. I think last time I saw they ranked, you know, somewhere in the top ten. Still, like seven or eight, and I think they'll be fine. Uh, they seem good when when they're on, especially when their pitching staff is on. They're really on. So you know, it's early. They're eight and four. I mean, Grand Softball does tend to be a bit more, have a bit less parity than say baseball. But got to remember, in most baseball sports, two out of three is fine, and they're. <laughs> You know, as long as you take two out of three, you're actually going to have one of the best records, you know, out there. So I'm not too worried about it. You know, we're, you know, 12 and nine in a week or two, then I'm going to start hitting the panic button. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And again, they are playing some pretty stiff competition. And they haven't played a single home game yet. Do what? Yeah, they haven't had a single home game yet, and part of that because it's it's iced over. So <laughs> I saw that picture of Obright. That was crazy. Yeah, that's not <laughs> that's not great. <laughs> um, no, I'm I'm still uh, I still think it's going to be a uh, Bedlam co- uh, softball World Series this year. I I gave up my prediction. I think I. I think it, it might be Oklahoma State, Florida State again, man. You mean Oklahoma? I'm sorry, Florida no, no, State? no, Oklahoma, Florida State. Florida State's very good. I'm not taking away from them, but I just I don't know, got that feeling it's going to be the Bedlam's. Hey, Oklahoma, Oklahoma's still a buzzsaw. Yeah, they're fantastic. Like, and I don't remember the, her her name, but she just set the record for like most career home runs. Like she's just I don't know. That's freaking all of them, man. I don't know. She, like, well, they all hit bombs. <laughs> She's just been hitting dingers all season, like well, yeah. all her career, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that too. I don't remember her name, but yeah, it, it but it's literally it's pretty much all of them. I mean, it, I mean, it is still OU and everybody else, and that sucks. But I think we got a shot. It'll it'll be interesting to see when is when is Bedlam. It's only is it only in Norman? Weekend. Yeah, it's only in Norman this year. And Oof. then the Big 12 tournament later on, but yeah. I mean, we take two out of three in Norman. That could be pretty huge. Yeah. Doubt it, but yeah, I think it'd be pretty huge. I'm a I'm a pessimist. I'm so well, I'm not that pessimistic. I'm best I'm pessimistic about OSU sports because you know it's bound I it's you know it's bound to happen. <laughs> Well, you got anything else before we let our dear listeners go? Nah, I'm good, man. All right, everybody. We'll see y'all soon. Um, as always, I'm Jacob. That's Ian. And we'll talk to you next time.